I think it's important for the audience to just jump into what's our caffeination level so that they can <laughs> get their, their barometer on what the episode is going to be like. So, Kelly, this is your second cup, first cup? Yeah, only my second. And normally I'm a lot further down the road on my caffeine this time of day. But today, this morning's just been interrupted a couple of times. And so I'll, uh, I may have to search for words not like I don't usually have to do. We'll, see, we'll watch your brain operate real time, <laughs> Kelly, real time. So for our audience, thank you for tuning in. We are in episode, um, we're season three at this point, which is the adoption of marketing mindset. I was going to talk about the specific episode, but I think we're at episode 72. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, people, process, and technology of the emerging market. And I'm on calls, as, as most audience knows, you know, probably three to five pre-interviews per day. And uh, it's with enterprise and practitioners, consultants, agencies. And what I find is either they don't see what we see, the innovators like you, Kelly, or they're in violent agreement, violent agreement. And the question is, how do we accelerate the market? And um, today we're going to talk about trust. It seems like a trust week. We, we, um, for those of you who listen to Stacy talk about what does trust have to do with it, which is an episode that was just published and a few comments came in this morning. We're going to follow up on that with Kelly, and we're going to talk about actionable messaging for building and protecting employee trust. Before we get into it, Kelly, you know, I just want to introduce you folks. This is a really special episode. Um, in, in addition to just an incredible experiences, Kelly was for 11 years in-house public relations counsel for Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital. And Kelly now is the president of Newman & Newman, just an awesome firm, you guys should check it out, as well as an instructor at Rice University's Leadership Institute for Non-For-Profit Executives. And she's taking on the kinds of questions that we should be, we're gonna be taking on, which is marketing and public relations. So Kelly, before we talk about what to do, let's knock out what not to do. I think a lot of organizations have this knee-jerk reaction, so let's just go do this and expect a quick response. So let's knock that out. What do we see happen often? And it's not the way to take the, these questions on. Well, I agree. I mean, human nature is just, you know, we always are attracted to quick fixes. And one of the things that is super important is really making that investment in culture. And fortunately, uh, I've been asked to, to do a lot of speaking on company culture lately, and I think that that's because company culture has achieved an, a new level of significance. And what's interesting is to form company culture, you really don't have to do anything. It will form on its own. But if you want a healthy, thriving company culture, then that does require uh, intentional effort. And it, it really begins with looking at your values. Now, we refer, we define company culture as lived values. And by that, I mean that they are not just words on a wall, but they are actually enacted in some way. And, you know, very oftentimes um, you'll see maybe respect as a company value. But it's, it's not enough to provide some general definition of, of how you see that in your own company. What does that look like in a particular department or to a particular 
job responsibility. So it really is not just saying we respect one another, we strive for excellence, you know, all those kinds of things that make up posters that people don't even look at anymore. Um, but really translating that into actionable experiences. That's fascinating. So let's just jump into it. It's not easy to create lived values, right? And, and I think briefly we mentioned actually wrote a book on the topic. It's the science of story, interviewing hundreds of leaders. Um, where does lived values begin when we think about the employee experience? Is this, is this something that should be discussed right from the get-go? Well, you know, I think it really begins with the formulation of that unique brand messaging that conveys your unique value. So by brand messaging, I don't mean a dry inventory list of what you do, and I also don't mean effusive, pie-in-the-sky declarations of superiority. Those, those don't have any substance to them. But messaging that articulates not just what you do or what you are, but why you are. I mean, I think that you know Simon Sinek did us such a big favor in um, emphasizing our attention on why, and that is so true. And it, it's a really important differentiator for your marketing, for instance, of course, but it also is a very important differentiator for the employees that you're not only trying to retain, but also working to recruit. Um, we like to use the analogy of what table do you sit at? So let's just use community colleges as an example, your community college. So you sit at the larger table of higher education. What distinguishes community college benefits as compared to university? So you know, you're kind of innately required to have that kind of messaging. But then more specifically, what distinguishes your community college from others? And it's not just your purpose, um, but definitely it's your culture and your values. Um, I just spoke to a group um, earlier this week with a, a client of ours who's a community college and in the research that we did we discovered that their culture uh, had incorporated a wraparound um, aspect to how they cultivated and nurtured and encouraged their students that was very unique it was a lived value, and it was a unique differentiator in how to articulate what was beneficial of them as compared to, say, their competitors. Fascinating, and you brought up why, and you brought up Simon Sinek. He, Simon had pretty significant impact on my work. He was one of the first interviews for, for Inc. Uh, when I was a contributor. And um, you know, I think it's it's fascinating to see how starting with why could have an impact on the organization. H how would you, you know, when we talk about bringing purpose, you know, values into the organization to to build trust, how would you evaluate its impact? Do we think about performance? Do we think about you know retention? What data points do we look at to say it is working or not, and we're getting a return on our investment? Well. 
I mean, clearly, and especially in healthcare right now, um, which is experiencing just critical challenges in both retaining and recruiting employees. And there's a lot of things that are being done. Um, certainly compensation incentives, um, alternative staffing plans, uh, utilization of technologies to help lift the pressure of time constraints that are so important. And those are all very important measures to be taken. But what's interesting is, is that recent studies with clinicians of their priorities have also shown that culture, respect, and trust of leadership is also very important. So to measure or to assess how that's playing out in your organization, particularly if you're in healthcare, I mean, one of the data points, of course, is turnover. And um, it's, it's a data point that is not necessarily, I mean, it tells you what's happening, but it really requires digging in and asking those questions before someone is leaving or if you're having difficulties recruiting just in general. And I think it does go back to that brand messaging. Well, that combination. Who do you uniquely say you are? As an employee in healthcare, what is that going to mean to me? And especially how does that align with my values and what motivated me to get into healthcare in the beginning? Um, and then how is that translated into actionable lived values and then conducting an assessment of whether that all lines up. I, I think I mentioned to you um, a few years ago we developed and trademarked a um, service line that we refer to as experienced messaging and what that does in addition to formulating that brand messaging that uniquely conveys, for instance, what was it about healthcare delivery that your organization um, felt was not being met and was part of your healthcare organization being formed. Um, so not just formulating those brand messages, but then conducting assessments on how is that experienced by your employees. And, and literally, we walk into situations with those formulated messages and start with on-site observations, online surveys, there's a variety of tools that are used, but to really investigate in that front line, is that what's happening? And then bringing those findings back to that leadership and not just saying, here's what's happening, but um, you know, here's, here's recommendations for how to alleviate those inconsistencies. Yeah. Are there maybe some examples, you know, the top of mind? Because I, re I really resonate with the idea of there's, there's a difference between, you know, the, the words on the walls, the, the, yeah. the, the, the beautiful town halls and, and, and the aspirational messages, and then what actually shows up every day. In fact, the disconnect may be creating cognitive dissonance for some folks within the organization mm -hmm. because it could be you know, quite contrary. So I don't know if that's a confidential or maybe there's a, a story that pops, pops to mind for you. 
No, in fact, we just published a case study um, with an urgent care system that has, well, they've added a tremendous number of clinics um, in the Houston, Austin, and San Antonio markets. And all of their inquiries, whether it's making a patient appointment or following up on results or whatever it is, it all filters through uh, what we renamed as their patient communication center. And their leadership was concerned about what kind of experience were patients having in communicating with that center. So um, they engaged us to apply experience messaging there. And what was so interesting, Adam, and, and to the point you were just making, is that in our research, what we found was is that the patient experience was great. Where the company was vulnerable was in turnover of employees because uh, one of their messages was we are an innovative organization that is um, determined to provide a unique patient experience. And they were, but they weren't providing that innovative access to information to these folks. So they hadn't uh, engaged technologies that would put answers, for instance, to questions at their fingertips. And so that frustration of, I virtually need to know everything there is about this organization, um, was really putting at risk the turnover. And it was, it was the reason why we published that case study is that we were so pleased at the um, quick reduction in turnover that incorporating recommendations and even some employee training uh, realized right away. So, it, you know, it's very often that an organization will be looking at its external impact, especially when it comes to brand messaging, but turning that spotlight on your employees is extremely important and ultimately affects your bottom line. And maybe this is the time, maybe that's the silver lining, if you will, of what's happening today is the pressures are mounting and, and not looking internally is simply not an option anymore. It used to be an option. It isn't an option anymore. And, and when you look internally, all of a sudden, you start to scratch your head about all of the inconsistencies that have been created from messaging and, and maybe even leading to some employee you know, cynicism, perhaps oh. dis, you know, dis, disengagement. <laughs> but so, so, so how do we navigate it? How do we navigate what, what we're seeing uh, as we start to sh shed, shine the light into areas that otherwise haven't seen the light? Well, follow through is essential. I mean, follow through is absolutely essential. Um, how many times have employees been introduced to, you know, a new initiative, mm. we're going to implement this, and right away there's cynicism and, oh gosh, here we go again. Um, I, my, one of my sisters works in the high-tech world and uh, she was working for a large tech company and they were moving the location that she worked at to another office location and during that time their corporate office had developed a employee values campaign something like you know be bold or whatever and they'd invested in all this artwork to communicate that and that had been shipped out to them and um, by the time they received that 
values artwork and had started packing to move to the new space, uh, corporate had said, oh, no, we're not going to do that anymore. So there is a lot of cynicism. And to just circle back to healthcare, uh, Deloitte did a study, I think it was in 2022, and what they found was uh, clinicians only thought, only believed 20, only 23%, see that's where I need that other cup of coffee, only 23% of clinicians believed that their leadership would do the right thing. So you're 100% right, there is a lot of cism out there, and that follow through is absolutely essential. I think the other thing too, anytime you're looking at building or protecting trust, employees need to genuinely believe that what you're doing is in support of them. Um, when we go in and we conduct research, it's not because, oh, there's going to ultimately be a big reorganizational effort and you're about to lose your job, nor are we trying to throw anybody under the bus. It really is to identify what are those supportive tools or training or skills that you need to be able to um, fulfill those expectations and those experiences, deliver those experiences that your employer is, is asking you to do. And when it is tailored, when it is not a, okay, we're coming in and applying trust 101 to you, but it is tailored to their unique experience, I think there is um, a much greater percentage of acceptance and, and even follow through by them as well. I'm totally with you, Kelly. Um, and, and you know I talk a lot about this as an emerging market. And just, just real quick in the defense of organizations, it's, it's just a muscle that wasn't built. It, it was organizations were focused externally and on the employee side. There weren't the people, process, and, and technology, if you will. And, and I think that the pressures today are, as I mentioned, are of such magnitude that now the question is, well, who, who should be responsible for this? So, like, if we think about employee trust, right, and we're talking about actual messaging to build it and, and protect it, who in the organization should be responsible for this? And, and, and I think that often we could say everybody and everyone should participate in this. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but but if we were to think about the actionable messages specifically, who should own those actionable messages showing up across the employee experience journey? Well, I I understand what you're saying, and in fact, in a conversation last week, someone said, "Well, this there's HR has a piece of this, marketing has a piece of this." You know, that's that's true. Um, I think that it is important to look at who's not who's responsible overarching, but who's responsible for that group of employees and getting it as close to the front line as you can. So where, you know, development of brand messaging and development of recommendations for better aligning and, and authenticity, all those kinds of things, where you might think, well, you know, that might belong to maybe the marketing folks because brand messaging always falls under that category. Where we're really retained is by those frontline, that frontline leadership. Because I think they have 
they are the ones that are going to be, at least by employees, most, um, I guess judged is, is the best word I can come up with. They're the ones that really have to deliver on that authenticity. Um, if, if, for instance, just to go back to healthcare, if you're a hospital that, for instance, describes itself as family-centered, how does that translate for those employees who are meant to develop or deliver that employee-centered experience for your patients? Am, is my family important? Do I have leave? Do I have flexibility from my immediate you know, supervisor to address family needs? Do I feel like my employer respects the health of my family? And so because that ultimately is experienced on the front lines, I really think that it's, it's those directors that are interacting. But that being said, I mean, if it's a culture, it can't be, oh, this department's got it going, but that department is a hot mess. I mean, ultimately, you know, your, your C-suite um, leadership has to make sure that, that they're um, engaging that as well. With you, with you, makes sense. And, and, and when we think about the process that will be followed, are there things that from the world of marketing that we can extrapolate and bring into solving this internally? And, and you know, often this point comes up, you know, uh, it was first brought up by, by Vince, uh, CMO of American Residential Services. Are employees the last audience for us to apply what we know works within the world of marketing? So process-wise, Kelly, what comes to mind for this emerging market? What can we learn from marketing? Well, I, I mean, the, I, I guess I'll use our process as, as my guide in answering that question. Number one, it's research. I mean, you just, you, you can't get away from that. I, I don't know how to do anything without doing some research because you've got to have, you've got to be informed. So number one is, is research. Number two is um, looking at who is it that you say you are either externally or internally, who is it that you say you are? You know, nobody says, oh, we're mediocre. It's always, you know, we're God's gift to whatever it is. You know, and, and um, I'll, I'll go off the track just a little bit here and say I was speaking at a conference one time and somebody asked me what I thought about mission statements. And without even taking a beat, and I probably should have thought it over, I immediately said, I hate mission statements. And there was an audible gasp in the audience. <laughs> Uh, it was like I had committed the ultimate sin, I guess. But the reason why I say that is that usually they are so, you know, ethereal. It's like, you know, we're going to be the best whatever. And okay, yeah, ultimately that's what you want to be. But I think that your messaging has got to have teeth. It's, it's got to be able to get traction. And it should be genuine. And then assessing how is that experienced by your own employees and and can they answer that question of what does that look like here and it's not just identifying those inconsistencies it's also proactively creating those experiences too how if if this is who we say we are how what can we develop as an experience in in this case for our employees but it's true for your external audiences too what experiences can we create 
to purposefully enhance or deliver that message. Mm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question or if I got off on a tangent, but those are all thoughts that in my mind go towards, oh, and then, mm. and then it is definitely form, formation of actionable recommendations. You know, it's not just that, you know, be kinder to one another. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Kelly, you know, take, what are those? Take us there, if, if you will. Actionable recommendations. How, how actionable? Maybe if you could illustrate it through examples f for the audience. Okay, so I'll go back to the case study that I was mentioning to you. Um, there was a lot of repetition. There was a lot of, they had morning huddles with their team. They had emails that went out um, at the end of the day. And it was just this flood of information. And so a recommendation that, that we had was, you've got to streamline and prioritize and reinforce what's really important for these folks to retain. And how do you make uh, urgent or alert information readily available? I'll, I'll give you a really simple example. So they have a technology that they use um, on their computer screens in terms of you know, scheduling and bringing up information to questions and things like that. And let's say in one of their urgent care centers, um, let's say that the x-ray machine had gone down. And in fact, that had happened during one of our on-site observations. Well, they just kept sending emails and emails and emails throughout the day. Don't forget, don't schedule x-ray appointments at this clinic. When all they had to do was um, apply a very simple accessing of their technology that would put an alert bar at the top of their screen that would say, you know, this particular clinic's x-ray systems are down. And then once it is resolved, take it off. You know, it was a, a simple alert that we've learned from some of our emergency management uh, clients. And it was a very actionable recommendation and, and a visible um, evidence of our commitment to put the information there we are requiring you to know in interacting with our patients at your fingertips that that makes it visceral like that makes sense there it is and and, and uh kelly the next question for is technology right we're talking people process and you just gave a fantastic example what do you what do you think in this emerging market will be you know, technology could be broad strokes. You could describe it with, you know, its characteristics, its applications. Um, you know, that's my huge passion. That, that is my bias. Right. I, that's where I started the podcast almost a year. Oh, I can't believe it's almost been a year now. But uh, how would you describe the technology that would be best to serve our needs to create actionable messaging to improve trust? Well, you know, um, it's interesting because we we do a lot of training um, as part of the experience messaging service line that we do. So it's not just, okay, here's recommendations. Very oftentimes there are skills that are discovered as uh, communication skills um, that are needing some enhancement. And uh, the New York Times ran an article, I think it was just last week, about how physicians are consulting uh, chat 
GPT for language that helps them be more compassionate or express more empathy towards their patients. And um, it, w it really resonated with our team. I think everyone came in that morning with that you know, article, have you seen this, have you seen this? Here's, here's, here's what I think about that particular example of, of utilizing technology. Yes, great, consult it, get some language, but scripting and um, you know, kind of that automation or formula like, you know, you walk, you, when you get three feet in front of someone, you extend your hand, you make eye contact. You know, a lot of people like, going back to that concept at the open of quick fixes, they like the idea of let's uh, institute formula um, and, that, and getting everybody to do that. We are huge advocates on developing your signature style when it comes to teaching physicians how to communicate. So if utilizing that technology helps you think through what's some of that empathetic language, what are some of those words or even some phrases that I can incorporate into my patient communications that feel comfortable for me, you know, I, I can be authentic, I can be genuine in my delivery of it, but it gives them some ideas, you know, I, I think that's great. Um, you certainly have, uh, are involved with technologies that are providing valuable reminders to folks so that um, it helps with sustaining learned behaviors. You know, how do I, how am I kind of gently reminded, don't forget this, oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of good ways to utilize technologies, but I mean, I'm biased towards there, there has to be that human connection. And that's done through genuine emotion. Um, it's done through empathy, where it's not that you have to have had that same experience, but you connect on that emotion of we all know frustration, we all know fear. Um, how can I connect with you empathetically on that level? Um, I think that there are enhancement technologies, um, and I think that they're very important to us. And I think that's going to be a big question in our future, which is the line between humanity and technology. We, we don't want technology to replace humanity. We want it to empower. We want it to be there at the right time to support us. But, um, you know, human connection at the end of the day, and especially in the healthcare industry, oh, my goodness. Kelly, you know, I could keep going on and on with you, and th there's so much brilliance, but, uh, but I do want to ask you, what, what advice would you give to our innovators who are listening, who are seeing these challenges, who are asking the questions of how do they uh, build and, and really protect and reinforce and sustain trust in their organizations? And maybe they're not at the sea level. Maybe they are, but they're able to influence the sea level. So what, what advice would you give them for them to continue on their journeys? Wow. Um, well, call us. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, you know, I think that I think that there certainly is um, opportunity to, if you're not in that C-suite group, to offer solutions 
um, it kind of goes towards, you know, how do you communicate to um, people when you see something that needs to be done? Um, go with a solution. Go with the why. I mean, go with information on even data that says clinicians, for instance, are putting these things um, ahead of salary in some cases. And so I think we should look at this and I have some ideas. So I am always a big advocate for speaking up in terms of presenting, you know, a solution. Um, for innovators who are those entrepreneurs, so oftentimes, you know, that what they've developed is such a passion for them. Um, it's their baby, you know. Uh, I but I think that it can be, you just have to remind yourself to take that step back and make sure, are we providing that experience to our own employees? Um, you know, is our culture, is our culture represented by bicycles hanging from hooks on the ceiling, you know, or, you know, all of that. I'm originally from Oregon, so I always think of, you know, the brick wall with the bicycle hanging off the hooks on the wall, you know, that's kind of the cool, innovative environment. I mean, those kind, those might be trappings, but, but I think also um, asking your employees questions, you know, what's important to you? Why did you go into this profession? Why did you come to work here? I mean, besides a paycheck, what is the difference that you're hoping to make by being a part of this team? You know, for, for our company, we are, we describe the clients that we work with as purpose-driven because our company was formed on the premise of making a difference. And the people that we recruit and have working here um, yes, of course, we want to make a living, but at the end of the day, what we really want to feel is that we made a difference in lives of our clients and those that they serve. Incredible advice. And, and for those who are listening in, just uh, check out in the comments, there'll be a link to Kelly's LinkedIn profile to Newman & Newman uh, website, so you, you can go check them out. Incredible firm. And, and Kelly, just uh, really a huge thank you for taking the time and to share your, your wisdom and brilliance with our audience. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, Adam, and uh, look forward to watching you and, and your continued success. Thank you. Over now, Kelly.